Welcome to Afterlife Mysteries. I'm Khalila Smith coming to you live from New Orleans. I'm here with my co-host, Billy Roberts, coming to us live from Cornwall in the UK. Welcome, Billy. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Khalila. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you as well. I'm really excited about this new show, the new format. This is all brand new. We're going to have some great things to talk about. But today, Billy's going to introduce us to the world of interdimensional beings. We ourselves are interdimensional beings, and we have multiple worlds out there that we cannot see, hear, or touch. But they exist nonetheless. Isn't that right? It certainly is. And um, even as a child, I believed that we were quite amazing because I could see things nobody else could see. But the human being, human form, is quite an amazing creature. Um, we're much more than we appear at a physical level. We are composed of seven principles or bodies, each one of a finer material than the one below it. So we occupy more of space than we are normally led to realize. There were multi-dimensional cosmic beings living in a multi-dimensional universe, each one rising in a gradually ascending vibratory scale. And those which touch and blend with the lower planes to those which gradually merge with the higher planes of existence. So I believe that we are able to traverse from one dimension to another, even whilst we live in a physical body. And we often do this in meditation. The masters did it in meditation. And there are certain techniques which you can use to access these different planes. And sometimes you might touch upon uh, something that, I mean, in uh, esoteric terms, called samadhi or, or nirvana, if you like. And this is a momentary experience where you know you experience something but you try to put it into words, you cannot. Because I don't believe that we are from this planet. I think prehistory, I think we've been here before. And there's some evidence to substantiate that. I mean, we know that the murals on certain Aztec walls and other caves have shown spacemen, um, depicting spacemen, having visited this planet. So I believe that these visitors, so-called, are not from another planet they could in fact be from the future of this planet because we are so advanced and some of us particularly those people who have rhesus negative or rhesus positive blood group um, it's believed that they are aliens they are not of this world and i'm inclined to believe that i've met quite a few people who um will have knowledge of such beings that they couldn't have read in books or learned from uh, anybody. Um, my One of my closest friends believed he was in, from another planet, but a planet that was part of this planet uh, if, when we go back in time. So I think that we are amazing creatures. And the original meaning of esoteric was arising from within. So a teacher, such as yourself or me or Alan, doesn't teach anybody they don't already anything they don't already know. We just remind people of what they've long since forgotten. So we're, we're sort of a we have like an Akashic record within our own being. 
And the, the Hindus will call it spiritual mind. And this is one of the bodies that we have. And in meditation, you access these different bodies. Uh, it's quite a fascinating subject to touch upon. So what's your, your feeling? Well, I've always believed that, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about, and it's really, really getting bigger and bigger, talking about UFOs, uh, which, of course, can be explained sometimes by, by military planes and all. But there's actually been people out here who have been visited by otherworldly creatures. I'm going to say otherworldly creatures because a lot of people assume that they're from another planet. And I have always really kind of tended to believe that rather than from other planets, they were actually from other dimensions because we do have multiple dimensions out here. And there's also creatures out here that are not anything like we have on this earth plane. And I think that a lot of things that people encounter, especially people who do meditation or people who, uh, you know, people used to, I don't know how trendy it is now, but I know a lot of people used to get involved with the high ceremonial magic and incorporating it with, you know, recreational drugs. And then they come back and they start talking about these creatures that they've seen. And I don't necessarily think that these are from other planets, but it's just other dimensions that they're tapping into. And I've actually had some you know, something similar happen like that um, in yoga classes uh, while meditating in yoga. I've had um, some I've had past life um, flashes go on. I like where I, I flash into a past life and then I come back. I've had uh, instances where I have a sudden mediumship. I start, you know, communicating with someone that someone knew in the class and it just got triggered by the meditation and i've also felt there, there was one place in particular i went to a, a yoga studio where they were doing something called sound bath and it was where they had all of these beautiful uh bowls and uh, wind chimes and drums and all of this sound vibration to to you know to in facilitate healing and to facilitate meditation and when i walked in there the vibration was so high in this room it actually made me cry because i could not understand it i knew that i was in the presence of higher realm beings when i got there if that makes sense if, you, if anybody's ever experienced it it makes sense to some people it might sound crazy but i really felt like I, it was very otherworldly and it literally invoked an emotion in me and of course, the, the Aztecs and the ancient, some of the ancient cultures used peyote and, uh, you know, lysergic acid, the ethylamide, because, you know, that activated a part of, and I've experienced this myself uh, in my younger years, and it introduced you to a different part of your, your own brain and a different dimension. But as I said earlier on, you know, you try and uh, verbalize these experiences, you, you can't, you can't, it, I think it was Maurice Matteling, the dramatist, he said, you, you part your lips to speak of the spirit, it's as though the eternal gates close upon you, because you can't talk about these experiences, it's as though a sacred warning has been given to you. And I'm inclined to, to understand that, because, I mean, I, I was in the music business in the early years, and I've had lots of experiences with um, unusual beings, not the archetypal alien beings that we see with the, the, the strange faces, but these are beings that really look like us, only more so. And, you know, in meditation, once you've touched upon it, you realize that there is more to it, more to this life. 
This is a transitory phase. Make no mistake about it. It's a fallacy that anything can ever be killed or annihilated. There's no such actual state as death. There's only change, transmutation, growth, becoming a movement of matter or of consciousness from one condition to another. Nothing can ever die. But in saying that, where do we go when we pass over? It's my belief that we don't go, we really don't go anywhere, that we just move into a different dimension to be reunited with all our family and friends. So this, this life is very complex. And the more we think we know, the less we understand and the less we do know. So I, I'm really certain that, that we are cosmic beings, multidimensional, as the, the planet upon we live is a living organism. She lives and she breathes. And I think this pandemic is an example. It's a biblical thing, I, I believe. But we're being warned that we're not treating the planet as we should. And it's probably one of the many warnings that we'll have. And they come from the masters. And the masters, or I know them as the elders, of beings that probably have never had Earth existence. But they're sacred beings that we have been told about from time immemorial. And so we are being supervised and we're being manipulated like marionettes. We're being, you know, like puppets. And I, I think that we need to tread with great caution now. The planet is being becoming more spiritualized. And I, I think that we have a lot to look forward to in the future, don't you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on many of those points. Now, when you say that there's seven bodies, that we have all of these bodies, um, it, you know, we have the astral body. Now, now the aura is up in there, right? We have an, the aura that we have. That's up in the, the one of those bodies, right? The aura is not a body. It's an emanation of energy from all the bodies combined. We have different bodies, different names for them. Um, but each body is subdivided into seven. So we are huge beings, cosmic beings. And I said earlier on, we occupy more of the universe, more space in the universe than we realize because each body can be accessed through meditation. And as we develop, I mean, you know what the chakras are? Chakras, right, right, of course, yes. seven major chakras, and they're connected in some way to the, these refined um, sheath or principles as they're known in yoga. And um, so each body has or represents a part of your consciousness. And it's subdivided into seven, as I said. But it, the, the, the material is very spiritual, very subtle. And each one is of a finer material than the one below it. Now in in uh, yoga, or a certain type of yoga, Nani yoga, they, they say that the highest point in the highest body is called spiritual mind. And the one below it is known as the intellect. Now we know when we're engrossed in learning a new task, we're learning a new job, we function because we're concentrating on that job at hand. And we're functioning in intellect, the sixth body. And when we've actually learned how to do it, 
we pass it down, down below that to the instinctive mind, and we do it unconsciously. But we know what it's like driving through the rush hour traffic, and you, you're engrossed thinking about what you're going to do. I don't know what it's like in New Orleans, but what you're going to cook for the evening meal. You're thinking about something mundane, and before you know where you are, you're parked outside of your house with no recollection having made the journey from work to your home. Exactly. You do it on automatic. That's a functioning of instinctive mind. And spiritual mind is to do with the higher consciousness, Sahasrara, which is the highest chakra. And this is the one really that is open to the influence of God or the masters. That's why monks used to shave their head, the tonsure of the monk, shave their head to expose that part of the anatomy to the higher planes, higher dimensions. Interesting, very, very interesting. It's all good stuff. But you tend to, everybody has a different opinion and that's the only problem really because a program like this is ideal. <laughs> Because you understand, and Alan understands, and we can have a, a, a you know, a, a conversation about it. But the ordinary person who's only coming to terms with spiritualism or spirituality, they don't understand what you're talking about. Well, well, yeah, everybody's on a different level. Everybody's journey is different, and and that is what makes it so difficult because a lot of people are so stuck in one way of thinking they don't want to open up to the idea that there might be something other than what they're seeing hearing smelling tasting right in front of them you know they're very attached to this physical world but in a lot of people of course you know like i said the aura that's the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about different physical bodies people say well oh it must be the aura but so you're saying the aura actually because i've heard that the aura actually goes out about 17 feet yeah. from the physical body so it's kind of encompassing all of these different bodies because i know there's the astral body the ethereal body the physical yeah. body um i don't know all seven so what but um the different. aura is really kind of encompasses all of it and then the aura of course connects back into through the chakras correct yeah yeah sort of well if you can imagine that these seven bodies each one radiates energy and it's the energy radiating all the seven bodies combined that constitutes the aura, which is a vaporous mass of electromagnetic energy that surrounds every living thing. Even a dead body has an aura that represents the amount of prana contained in it. The chair, the table, everything is held together with pranic energy. Wow. Everything has an aura. This is why, you know, we, we go into an old building. And, and we sense things. We can sense the energy that's permeating there, people who've lived there in the past, because it leaves an aura, the house as an aura. And a woman will, will say, she'll go into the house and she'll say, this building has an aura of peace, an aura of serenity. And then you force you, your, your husband to come and have a look if you want to move there. And he will say, because he's impervious to it, he will say, well, if you want to live here, you'll live here by yourself. Because men are generally not <laughs> equipped. And it's true, but, you know, women are more sensitive than men. So the chakras are connected. They radiate energy. Each chakra, they're connected to the endocrine glands. 
and nerve plexuses through an extensive system of channels called nadis. So you, you sort of, you're a cosmic being. And if you've ever, and we get this quite a lot, ever touched your cat, moved your hand from tail to head, breathing, but don't touch it, just move your hand along it, you'll have some static electricity. Oh, yeah. Because the cat radiates energy, an energy that you probably need at that time, um, a static electricity, because they have a lot of prana in their fur. And that's quite fascinating as well as how you can heal, animals heal. Right. Well, every, yeah, everything. In fact, when I was uh, learning uh, massage and oriental uh, body work and so forth and herbs, uh, one of the things we had to do is go and we had to take the energy, go and try to feel the aura of trees. And yeah. we have these huge live oak trees here in New Orleans, and you can feel that. In fact, you know, that's what they do, the martial artists do. They get the chi or the energy, and they can actually create, we used to create the chi balls in our hands, and you would feel it. It's very spongy. It has a very spongy feel to it. And you would go out and you'd feel the, the energy coming off of, emanating off of the trees. And you could, it's, it's almost kind of pushes back on you when you start pressing into it. So it is very fascinating and it is very real. But unfortunately, a lot of people, it, they don't understand. It takes a little bit of fine tuning to be able to tap into it because it is so subtle. It's not like what people see on TV or you watch the movie Poltergeist and you got energy coming out of the television set. It's very, very subtle. And yeah. you have to be in a little bit of an altered state or at least a quiet state and, and kind of tune everything else out to really be able to make contact with it and really feel it or, or come into some sense of it. I, I think also, I might've said this to you before, but, um, a lot of esoteric teachers believe that the most powerful tree is the apple tree. Oh. Um, got a lot of energy, and, and the oak tree is another one, as you know. But uh, we're dealing with two different energies. Prana comes from the sun. Uh, it's very prevalent in water and the food we eat. But also prana shakti, or, or kundalini, comes from the earth. And this is why trees, they absorb the kundalini or prana shakti into the roots. This is why they give so much healing and so much energy. I like the oak tree because the oak tree is quite one of my favorite ones. And the other one is a pine tree. Pine tree are very good for um, respiratory problems, anybody with lung problems. But they make, they make me sometimes feel claustrophobic. But trees are the lungs of the planet they actually keep us alive. Yeah, yes, um, they do. And if you live by the sea, because as you know, we, we do, um, for, it has to come, the wind has to come in from the sea to bring the pranic energy in with it. If it comes from inland, it just doesn't work for me, where pr pranayama is concerned. So we're dealing with different things. And I think a lot of the masters, a lot of the these, sacred people, I think they influence us in a lot of, in more ways than one, not just to um, manipulate us to do good things. I think sometimes also they influence us to do the wrong thing because life is the constant accumulation of knowledge, the storing up of the results of experience. 
And that the only way we can grow transcendentally is to gain experience. Doing the easy things in life is not going to give us experience. No. We have to, we have to go, oh, well, you know yourself. Right. Well, uh, yeah, of course. Yes, you have. It's a little bit of a stretch. You have to stretch outside of your normal perimeters of what you're used yeah. to. You got to get out of your comfort zone. If you stay but, in that comfort zone, you don't grow. Uh, some people will not do that. Uh, some, <laughs> it's hard. It's, people like being comfortable. People like that. Even if it's not comfortable, if it's from as long as it's familiar, you know, in Gestalt therapy, we used to call it the uncomfortable familiar. And people would stay in situations and so forth that were not necessarily good for them or comfortable for them, but it was familiar. So therefore, in that respect, that was comfort for them. Even uncomfortable could be comfort for them because it was what they were accustomed to. And anytime we step out of our normal realms and we do something different and people don't realize how much, even that's very subtle right there. Everything's energy. We're constantly exchanging energy and molecules and everything's about vibration. So even the tiniest little change can cause a lot of change in your in in your in your life, in your body, in in everything, in your way of thinking. Just changing, take a different route home. Uh, yeah. Do something different in the course of a day. Pop into a bookstore you've never been into. Read something you've never read before. Just changing that little bit of your routine can mm -hmm. can make a lot i mean it can just break up a lot of the stagnant energy in your life people who have exactly. obstacles people who are having health problems you know just moving the energy that's all you have to do is just take a little tiny step out of that comfort zone and do something just a little different and it, exactly. can, it can make a huge impact it's, it's it's like in psychology um people who suffer with an anxiety neurosis they get into the habit of panicking each day. And if they've had a panic attack in the the grocers or the bank, they avoid the bank or the grocers because they attribute that, those places to their panic. But whatever they go, the panic will follow them. And in psychology, they call it the adrenaline fear cycle. You have to interrupt it. You have to break the cycle by facing the things that you're frightened of. So the things that you think panic you, you have to face them. And that's the only way to eradicate it. And it's the same with the paranormal. If you're involved in this kind of thing, there's a lot of gullible people who have no respect because we're dealing with the so-called dead. And, you know, we have to respect people on the other side of life. And so you have to tread with great caution. And I think to abuse the situation is quite detrimental to your uh, emotional and psychological health. So we're dealing, no, you know, all, all things meet, all these subjects, all these different topics that we touch upon are all connected in some way. Um, I, and I, I think it's all to do with personal growth and expansion of consciousness. And it's a day, people think because they develop mediumistic traits, and they can work as a medium or a healer. That's it. But you know as well as I do, the development goes on and on and on. Oh, it's never-ending. Never it's, it's never ending. You never reach, in this lifetime anyway, you don't ever reach an end to it because, if, as with anything else, you become stagnant. 
you exactly. know, it becomes routine, yeah. it becomes stagnant, and you can actually lose some of your connection to spirit because you're not going through that growth because, you know, spirit wants you to keep going and it's part of your, your, your evolution. Our, our spiritual evolutionary plan is to keep growing and to keep evolving. And when you hit a spot where you want to stay in that one little groove and you don't want to move forward or move backwards or to the side, then you can become very, very stagnant. And I've seen this happen with mediums where yeah. you, you, you know, you see them and you start hearing their messages over and over again. And they're using the same symbols and they're using the same verbiage. And after a while, it's like, haven't I heard this before? And, and they get stuck. They get stuck in this pattern. And, and yeah. you have to be able to move out of it. And actually, one of the things that I started doing a couple of years ago to kind of it, not to get stuck in that trap, I started incorporating art into my mediumship. I started really kind of using art and I'm not an artist. I, I'm definitely, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination. I can't even draw stick people, but that's something I don't normally do. So if I start painting or drawing, this kind of like opens up a different area in my right brain. It also opens up a different area of me spiritually and I can tap into other things. And it, it was just amazing. Some of the things that I've discovered through uh, just kind of playing around with art and, you know, not, you know, charging people or having clients or anything like that, but just myself and spirit and just start experimenting with drawing or, or chalks or paints or anything. And uh, one of the things, um, some of the stuff I learned in Lilydale uh, with Susan Barnes was um, we did some wax paintings, painting with hot wax. And it was just so enlightening and it's, it's very, it's relaxing for starters, but it really opened up a whole nother side of my, my mediumship that I didn't expect uh, to open. Yeah, this, this is it. You see, people don't understand that even a, a cre anybody who's created has a mediumistic propensity. Yes. Mediumship covers a broad spectrum and we get into different realms because I think we've discussed before that, T.W. Leadbeater, a theosophist, was a friend of Ivan Kutinsky. He was um, a, a neuroscientist in Moscow University in the uh, 1903, I think it was. And he'd heard so much about the, uh, the abilities that children had, seeing people that no one else could see, and doing amazing things, creative things. So he decided to study, and he compromised his own professional integrity by devoting seven years of his work. I was ridiculed by his peers, investigating it. And he concluded that the pineal gland, which is a walnut shaped gland deep in the brain, right. is a sort of a radar device. It was responsible. And he found out that it was larger in a child than in an adult and more developed in a female than it is in a male which proved, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that women and children are more sensitive um, than men. And, and more recently in California University, they did autopsies on me, uh, deceased mediums. Obviously, they had to be deceased to do autopsies. <laughs> <laughs> and they found it was an abnormality. The brain was abnormal. The, the prehistoric brain at the back of the bony box was abnormally shaped. And the electrical circuitry 
and when they did it on did experiments with uh, mediums who were alive uh, showed an abnormality in the the way the brain functioned and always the pineal gland was larger than anybody else's interesting yeah there's a lot about the pineal pineal gland out there uh and children yeah children always now are, are do you think all children can connect to that because i mean i did as a kid as a young child i can remember my, my earliest memory of of seeing other beings and seeing other spirits and so forth and i didn't realize they were spirits at the time they just looked like other people or or, or creatures that I, that I wasn't familiar with. But um, I mean, I can remember still being in a crib and in diapers, and I still have memories of that. Um, I mean, do you think all children experience that or is it just certain children? I think it's certain children. I think probably 70% of children. One example, which is not really related to it. When I was uh, about nine, I was an apparition in the front room of my mother's house because i was a sickly child and i i took the apparition to be a vision of our lady the virgin mary and although it was a projected image on the wall it became animated and three-dimensional and i was with a kid called tommy edgar um who i knocked around with at the time and he started to cry he screamed the light had gone off and he screamed to, to get out of the house and he got out into the street. Never saw him after that. I went and got my mother. He, he disappeared. And my mother came in with my aunt. My dad, my father wasn't interested. Anyway, cut a long story short. Years had gone by and I'd written about this apparition in some of my books. The guy, Tommy Edgar, contacted me as a man, he contacted me about about six seven years ago oh wow now he only had he remembers something that made him cry but he doesn't remember what now this is a guy who spent 30 or 35 40 years working for the post office in the uk and has no interest whatsoever in religious things or anything else because i think some kids are shut off from it depends how they were born and what's going on in their lives uh, you were fortunate and, and even in later life and i suppose alan as well you, you come to it later on in life it, something will occur in your life it could be some trauma it could be some happiness that will bring you into the fold and open some faculties that you've never experienced before but i think in in childhood you have to tread with caution with kids because it can have psychological implications, particularly if a child has got a mum and dad who's a loony medium. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they tend to push it down the child's throat. Well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it, that, that's never good. But I mean, you but, were sickly as a child. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I find that a lot of people who had mediumistic skills from birth, you know, they'll call themselves born mediums. A yeah. lot of those people, and even people who developed it later in life had, um, you might call near death experiences or um, major illnesses that sometimes were the catalyst for yeah. opening that up. Um, I was supposedly, when I was born, I was what they call the blue baby. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yes, I, 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 I had a collapsed lung. 
and they had to, you know, open my lungs up. And uh, according to the story, I was born in one hospital and they were in the process of transferring me to a different hospital when suddenly I started breathing better and I was fine. But I still had that birth trauma to where I almost suffocated as an infant. So, um, you know, I always felt like maybe that made a difference. Something about that. I think, I think, and I've met a lot of people, yourself included, who have been, had some trauma health trauma when they were when they were young and it, it does precipitate some kind of awareness spiritual awareness and i've seen it where the parents were not religious where the parents were totally against it but couldn't understand why their child uh, uh, was seeing things seeing dead granny who died before they were born and describing it and all, all these different things and I've seen parents really um, in turmoil because they thought there was something psychologically wrong. And they take, in one case, took the child to a priest. But fortunately, the priest was a friend of mine who said, there's nothing wrong with this child. This child is gifted. And, and the parents uh, of the child didn't like what he said. They went to see another priest who I didn't know. So in answer to your question, I think, Probably 70% of kids. And you, you'll find that no medium, very few mediums who are really gifted, have had an easy life. It might be a physical problem, but they might have gone through some trauma uh, in their lives, whether it's a marital breakdown or it could be anything. It can either, or if you've lost somebody close to you, sometimes. Oh, yes, that, that too. That turns you towards that kind of thing, but also it can turn you away from it as well. I've seen that happen. And the funny, story, I, the funny thing was, a lady came to see me once. She was sent to me, she wanted to know what it was she was seeing. She was in her late 60s, and I'm going back when I was in my 30s, and she didn't understand what was happening to her. And she said, I just don't understand it, because I'm quite religious. Anyway, cut a long story short, at the end of the conversation, I said to her, well, you said you're quite religious. What, what, what do you do? She says, I'm a nun. Oh, wow. And she was a nun. And what had happened, she walked past uh, a ladder. People were working on a roof. And somebody dropped a brick and it hit her on the head. Oh, my God. And she, she woke up in hospital after being comatose and was seeing people in Victorian clothes. In one of the old hospitals in Liverpool, and, and that's how it started for her. She was seeing so-called dead people. That lady ended up in New Zealand or Australia, working as a medium. She'd be well gone now, but it's quite an unusual case. Wow. Yeah, I met a, I met a medium. Um, I think it was in New Jersey who um, had a spiritualist church who had once been a Catholic nun, and yeah. um, she switched religions and everything but um and i think there's one here in new orleans as well that there's uh someone who is still an active nun but she does mediumistic or healing work as well but um yeah i mean a lot of people have different paths but this whole interdimensional thing now people can actually i've also heard of people and i don't do this i don't want to do it but i know a lot of people who get involved with the you know um astral projection the out of body travel yeah. 
Um, I know uh, I've run across a lot of people who do that routinely because they consider that part of their spiritual growth. And they actually supposedly tra travel between these interdimensional worlds. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, Sylvan Muldoon, I told you once before, he was right. an Irish and he had tuberculosis and nearly died. But when he was very, very ill, he found he could come out of his body and travel. So he replicated it and developed a technique, which is in his book, Projection of the Astral Body. But he, he said it can be very dangerous. To, a lot of people, they talk about it as though it's a game. Right. And, you know, even in the Bible, it's mentioned that we're attached to a silken thread, an umbilical cord. Once that cord is severed, you can't come back. And if you I've heard that, astrally, yes. If they project astrally, they have to keep within the confines or the parameters of where they are, because if they stray too far, the vagabonds of the astral world, these are the malicious people who delight in causing havoc. They could break the cord and you could be lost forever. So it can, and it, even one of the other worst case scenarios, it can also affect you psychologically. So I, I, it's not something that I think that people should try. If it's going to happen, it will happen spontaneously of its own accord. Right, it, yeah, it's not anything I care to ever delve into, but I've, I've heard of people that do it and offer classes on it. And I've yeah. always thought it was something dangerous. And, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't believe that, but it's true. I mean, there are such things as walk-in spirits. And exactly. this can happen if you travel too far from the astral body and you, you get away and that, that cord breaks. Or it's happened, I've heard of it happening in cases where people were in comas. People yeah. in comas, people who had really tra tragic injuries and, and they come back. And it's not really that person anymore. It's something else has walked in. And and it's yeah. a very real thing. And I find that rather frightening because the idea of, you know, imagine being trapped outside of your body and you can't get back in and somebody else is in there. Yeah. Uh, a spiritual imposter is actually in there occupying your body. And this happens all the time. And this is totally different from attachments or possessions, but uh, they call it a walk-in. And it's literally where you are no longer in that body and something else has stepped in and is living. And then there are beings out there. There's an entire realm. In fact, you know, Billy and I are actually writing about this right now in, one, in a new book coming up about, you know, entire realm of, you know, earthbound entities that are not quite on that other side and they're not quite still here. And they kind of travel back and forth. And usually they're quite malicious. So, um, yeah, it's kind of dangerous, but... Um... We're playing in an emotional minefield, emotional oh, and yeah. psychological minefield. And a lot of these people, because of television and the way they portray uh, mediumship and mediums on TV and the paranormal, they think it's exciting. But it is, if you, you really know what you're doing. But a lot of people will go into these, this subject uh, for a laugh, or they think they're going to make money out of it, and um, they could make money, but it's certainly not a laugh. And it isn't a psychological minefield. It can do a lot of psychological damage. And I've seen it over the years 
I worked with a, 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 an exorcist priest called Julian Calendro, American guy. Uh, he's long since gone, but he, he became a good friend of mine. And he would often bring people. He, he always claimed that he wasn't mediumistically inclined, but he, he was to do the job that he did. But he would bring people to me um, who had problems, psychological problems. And it's very difficult to ascertain whether a person has a psychological illness or whether they're possessed because there's a very close connection between the two of them. Right. There's an organization in the UK, don't know what it's called, but uh, it's to do with uh, schizophrenia. They believe that schizophrenics, the majority of them are low-grade mediums. They have mediumistic propensity, and they can, by developing their skills, they'll overcome their psychological anguish I don't know whether that's true, but a lot of people believe it. Well, a lot of people also believe it. I, I interviewed a guy very many years ago for a documentary. And uh, he was, um, he lived in Northern Africa. He lived in Morocco. And he talked about uh, some of the spiritual things that he had been uh, exposed to. He said that one time there was this woman in a cave. He said he heard all of these voices. You know, he and others were, you know, traveling, doing some spiritual traveling, and there was this cave, and they went into this cave because they heard all these voices, all of these voices coming out at once, male voices, female voices, some voices didn't even sound human, and he says it sounded like a multitude of people in there praying or chanting, and, and when they got into the core of this particular cave, it was just one woman, and all mm. the voices were coming out of her. And, you know, he said in, in, in American culture and so forth, this woman would have been labeled a multiple personality or some other sort of um, psychotic uh, type of um, malady. But in fact, you know, it, in their culture, what this was considered was a, a multiple possession. And she had all of these spirits inside of her and they were all speaking at once. I get requests and recordings sometimes from people who claim to be in trance. What did I think? And I try to stay clear of it because, as I said, because, because of television, the way it's portrayed today, a lot of people believe they have trans-mediumistic abilities. And real trance is very rare. And I've, I've worked with some of the, the greatest ones uh, I don't know whether you've heard of Ashla Roberts, who um, in Google, but she worked at my place for a week. Mm -hmm. and she, she had a, her control was Ramadan, and she was actually brilliant. But she was specific. If she came to you with a message, there were there was detail there. For an example, she would give you your family name and also the address that you lived in and the wow. address. <laughs> That's how specific. That's, that's pretty, yeah, that's impressive. Mediumship is not about giving you, you've had a, a difficult day and, you know, you've had, uh, you've lost a lot of money and all these mundane things. Mediumship is about proving the continuity of the soul by giving information to a deceased person from the, uh, the relative, daughter, son, and it cannot be disproved. 
And we, we, we get this all the time with a lot of the mediums here. And you, you listen listen to them on Facebook, giving readings. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Or, yes. And that's a whole nother show, Billy. In fact, maybe we can talk about that next time because we're actually running out of time. But I right. um, want to thank you for joining us today. It's been wonderful. And I want to thank everybody else for tuning in to Afterlife Mysteries. Uh, this is our pilot show here. So we will be doing a lot more and we're going to be delving deeper into other forms of mediumship as well as other things about the afterlife, questions you might have. But uh, please check us out on Facebook. Uh, Billy and I are both on Facebook and we actually have a page called Afterlife Mysteries on Facebook. And uh, check us out. And join us again next time as we take a closer look to the afterlife. Have a good day.